Hello and welcome to the scariest outdoors arts and crafts podcast on the digital airwaves, the secret society of fly tires. Today's guest is Haunted Hogan Brown and we're dying to talk about Flashaboo. Listen, if you dare, but don't tell your friends unless you want them to die from fear. Yeah! Turn it up! You want it turned up or what? What? Oh, I'm right back there! Hello! 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 It's me, Mark, your host with the most. I'm the ghost with the most, babe. By most, I mean the most trouble sleeping. Not because I'm scared of goblins or mummies or Beetlejuice during this Halloween season. It's because my brain is stupid and my body is broken. I've never been scared of a single thing in my life because I'm a very tough man. That's a lie that I've told you before. <sighs> Feels good to lie. I feel like I haven't really lied to you much lately. Anyways, I'm already getting off track. Welcome to the 12th episode of Secret Society of Fly Tires. My creepiest episode yet. You may be risking your life just by listening. Today's guest is Hogan Brown. Haunted Hogan Brown. And we're talking about Flashaboo, one of the few fly tying materials that has the word boo, 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 boo in it. I'm trying to be topical this time, okay? It's pointless because anyone can listen to any podcast whenever they feel like it, and tomorrow this episode isn't going to be topical anymore. It's going to be stale and outdated. And scary. Not really. Halloween certainly doesn't scare me. Halloween is just Disneyland dressed up like Jack Skellington. It's Hocus Pocus 2. It's the masked men from Slipknot. Most kids out there trick-or-treating haven't even found out how corny and hilarious the Prince of Halloween Glenn Danzig is yet. I'm not ripping on Danzig either. My brothers and I typically use Halloween as a Glenn Danzig appreciation day. I love Danzig, even as he's grown into the butt of so many jokes. I'm not sure if anyone will care about this, but I lessened the degrees of separation between myself and Danzig back in 2011, when I was working at the Fun 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 Festival in Austin, Texas. At this point, Danzig was doing his Danzig Legacy shows and was billed at the Fun 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 Festival to do sets from all three of his famous bands, The Misfits, Samhain, and Danzig. I got a B12 shot from the same doctor who was called on site to take care of a supposedly ailing Danzig who would not be able to perform without French onion soup and this doctor tending to him. It's a funny and real moment on the Danzig timeline that fits nicely alongside that image of him carrying kitty litter and what might be the coolest band he ever fronted, Samhain. Sawin or Swine or whatever. I like saying it like it's the name of an evil man, Sam Hain. Also a good name for a dog. Danzig and the earliest lineup of Sam Hain are literally shirtless and covered in blood on the cover of their debut album, Initium. 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 How freaking cool is that? How freaking cool is How that? How freaking cool freaking is that, man? Cool. Yeah, I'm not only saying Sam Hain wrong, I'm probably saying the title of the album wrong too. Great. Now some pagan or Wiccan special interest group is going to write in and scold me. I pronounce lots of things wrong, if you haven't noticed. I definitely mispronounced the name of that lying ex-governor of Arizona, Fife Symington, in episode 10. That's okay, though. He deserves it. I probably pronounced my guest Eric Leninger's name five different ways in episode three. 
He doesn't deserve it, and I had plenty of time to confirm with him how to say his name correctly, and I didn't because I'm lazy. There is no way that I correctly pronounced the name of the type of butt cyst my old drummer had in the story I told in episode 11. I probably offended proctologists across the globe. I pre-record these and have no excuse except for inebriation and or laziness. Big whoop, wanna fight about it? Speaking of doctors, I wish my listener analytics were a little bit more in depth. I need to know if any of you out there listening are medical professionals. I really hope so, because I need a doctor or scientist or something to prove to me without a doubt that it is a scientific fact that spiders will never live in my waders. I told you this episode would be scary. This is one of the scariest things I can think of. I've seen some big old honking black widows in my garage. The thought of one waiting in the dark cave of one of my waiter legs crosses my mind every time I put them on. It's easy to clap your boots together and make sure there's no spiders hiding in that classic spot, but waiters are a little different. If you happen to be a medical professional or arachnophile or pest control person, please write in, no, call in, live to my show and give me the information I want to hear. A wild scene at a Cintiline gas station. A man sets a gas pump and his car on fire as he tried to kill a spider. If that doesn't stir up any action, I may have to consult the listeners I have outside of the U.S. Here's my new reoccurring bit where I use text-to-speech programs to communicate with my new listeners in their native languages. It says here on my analytics dashboard that there are people in Japan listening and maybe one of them can reassure me somehow. Alright, I doubt that worked and actually translated what I wanted to say. Let's try again. I have some new listeners in South Africa, and there's got to be some insane spiders over in that part of the world that have forced them to figure out ways to keep their fly fishing waders spider free, or else risk certain death. Or else risk certain death. Certain death. 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 They have spiders that listen to die ant word and would eat me right up in one bite. I need real world advice. Let me use their native tongue. My brothers and sisters in South Africa. Please tell me spiders will never be in my waders. You can lie to me. Make up a fake source. I will believe you. Please help calm my anxious mind and stop the endless nightmares. My only current method of defense is to fill my waders with boiling water the morning before I put them on. That, ladies and gentlemen, is your Coors Light key to the game. Flash is the key to your game when tie-in flies for many different species of fish. Fish love flashy stuff. I love flashy stuff. I stroll into the fly shop and end up buying the same colors of Flashaboo multiple times before I realize I have a pack at home already. I am hypnotized and forgetful and lazy. I even have a list on my phone. Why would I consult said list while standing in front of a display of synthetic materials I'm going to pretend I know what to do with? I feel like I'm spending more time these days buying fly tying materials than I am actually tying flies. I can say for sure that I'm recording and editing podcast audio a whole lot more than I'm tying or fishing lately. I'm excited to talk to Hogan Brown, though. He's a podcast host just like me and knows the struggle. He knows a thing or two about using Flashaboo, too. He's an inspiring fly tire and always seems to be up to something. On any given day, you'll find him teaching history to high school kids, guiding fly anglers onto huge Sacramento Valley stripers, twisting up famously successful bugs, playing in his band Royal Oaks, or whipping up digital content for Loon Outdoors. There's even stuff I'm leaving out. He started the Cal Bass Union and runs his own marketing company too. There's a good chance he doesn't sleep at all. In fact, I know he doesn't sleep. 
because he works nights as a grave digger and taxidermist. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just trying to be spooky. This is my Halloween episode, remember? He's haunted, haunted Hogan Brown. It seems like Hogan came out of the womb, fishing rod in hand, and I'm looking forward to learning more from him along with you. My show is called Secret Society of Fly Tires, and I often forget that I'm pulling information out of my guests that some might call secret. Please remember that anglers like to keep things to themselves a lot of the time. They lie to non-anglers, and sometimes tell the truth to other trusted anglers. They don't want some strangers blowing up their favorite spot or teaching everyone their secret techniques. I trust you. We've known each other through this show since May of this year, so technically we've been dating for about six months now. And I think I love you. I'm warning you though, don't you even think about going to any of the places I've talked about in previous episodes, and don't show any posers any of my guests' fly tying patterns or ideas either, okay? Or it's over. I'm a slayer, and uh, I would bring you to the depths, so you'd be slayed, and then you'd brought down so far below the depths, you'd be decimated. I'll end this relationship right now. I'm kidding. The underlying point of this program is to show how fun and cool tying flies and attempting to trick fish with them is. You know what will probably make that easier a lot of the time? Flashaboo. I mean, Flashaboo. <laughs> Our favorite fly tying material made from mylar. Specifically, sheets of mylar that are dyed a base color to start a process that gives the product an iridescent quality. More color is added, and then the mylar sheets are sliced into strips. Anglers like you and I spend the money we earn working long hours at the dildo factory to bring the Flashaboo home and twist up make-believe food for fish. I had planned on my first interview doubleheader for this episode. I wanted to talk to Hogan Brown and the folks at Hedron Inc. who revolutionized the fly tying world. Unfortunately, my emails and DMs must have gotten lost at the electronic post office hub in Washington, D.C. because I couldn't get a response from anyone at the company formerly known as Flashaboo Inc. It's okay. That doesn't make the synthetic contribution to fly tying that gifted us in 1982 any less awesome. It just means I can't ask them if they've had any paranormal experiences. Now, you might be saying that Flashaboo is really just repackaged or recut tinsel, and you might be right. Anglers love to overpay for toys and gear made to look like it's specifically created for them and their favorite hobby. Tinsel, in its earliest days, was actually made from silver, hammered out paper thin. The internet tells me it was first used in Germany in the year 1610, and the inventor cannot be credited because that information was lost over time. Silver tinsel had its issues, and a vast crew of tinsel tinkerers tried all kinds of different materials like various precious metals, lead, tin, aluminum, and eventually plastics to make a better and less toxic product. People were bored back then without YouTube and TikTok, all right? Tinsel was probably the equivalent of a laptop computer in 1610. This was a very long time ago. These poor people wouldn't even enjoy their first ice cream cones for another 200 plus years. Lieutenant Dan, ice cream! Word about tinsel finally got to England in the 1840s, which was still somehow before ice cream cones. The queen and her family were photographed in front of a Christmas tree covered in tinsel, and as soon as that photo started making the rounds, everyone wanted the stuff. Why are we so dumb? We saw our boss, our principal, our queen, with something shiny, and then everyone had to have it. Someone on such a different level than us regular folk that will never come close to understanding each other had shiny stuff on their Christmas tree, and we immediately needed it too. We still do this, now more and worse than ever. At least it eventually led to a cool fly tying material I get to use. While researching tinsel, it was pointed out that the material makes a great toy for pets, but to be careful because they would be likely to eat it, which would be dangerous. 
Not if that pet is a big ass striper, mother We want to feed mylar to them, and they want to eat it. The only danger there is how close to my guide's head my clouser will get as I sling it out into the river trying to force a big striper to eat it. Anyway, Hedron's quote, Marabou Flash, instantly kicked off an industry-wide craze. Flashaboo's super strong metallic fibers were soon a part of flies and lures everywhere. Manufacturers added the flash to their fly patterns, and fly tires like us had whole new worlds open to them. Shh, you wanna get sued? Today, the original genuine Flashaboo is joined by a complete line of synthetics for enthusiasts like you and I, including glow-in-the-dark Flashaboo, holographic Flashaboo, saltwater Flashaboo, Flashaboo Accent, Big Fly Fiber, Polar Flash, Wing and & Flash, and a variety of other products. By 1990, the company was developing and manufacturing products that went beyond the fly industry and were quickly becoming a major source of raw materials to the jig and spinning industries as well. It became increasingly clear that to expand the company's reach into the general fishing community, a name change was in order. That year, the name was officially changed to Hedron Inc. Loosely speaking, Hedron means geometrical figure having a specific combining of form. God damn it, these Hedron people are totally into sacred geometry and stuff. We could have talked about tetrahedrons and dodecahedrons and tetragrammatrons and octogramic prisms and crossed antiprisms and all sorts of other things you might see on DMT while tying flies and listening to Mars Volta. Mylar works great in the fishing world because of its resistance to weather, oils, and solvents. If you were to eat it, which you should never do because it isn't a food product, it would come out exactly the same way it went in, stinky and covered in your waist, but still very flashy. Mylar also offers excellent printing characteristics and it's abrasion resistant. It all makes sense. It's used for all kinds of stuff, like emergency blankets, balloons, and other party supplies, lots of different food packaging, and many other things. I doubt there's anything cooler made from Mylar than Flashaboo, though. Nothing made from Mylar has a better name, that's for sure. And, like Sam Hain, I think Mylar would be a pretty good dog name. Did they scare you? I am not going to mispronounce my guest's name this time. Hogan Brown, Hogan Brown, Hogan Brown. What if he just materialized like Beetlejuice right next to me in the passenger seat of my car here in my garage? He didn't. I had to speak to him over Zoom. Here's our conversation. All right, what's up, Hogan? Uh, thanks for coming on the program, dude. Yeah, no, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it, Matt. Yeah, you know, I, I've as I've been putting episodes out on different topics, I've been lucky enough to trick guests that really know what they're talking, <laughs> really know what they're talking about, and I've proven it through years of experience, you know, to come onto the show. And uh, people uh, respected uh, by their peers and clients alike, and you definitely follow in line with that group. Oh and, well, thank you. Yeah, man. And, uh, in fact, I've had past guests bring you up as sort of like a mentor, even. So it's a pleasure to sit down, <laughs> sit down with you and yap with you virtually today, man. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Um, you're the first podcast host that I've had on the show, and <laughs> it, it looks yeah. <laughs> look at us two fishing related podcast hosts. Talking, totally. to, talking to each other over Zoom while our kids are probably getting into trouble somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I had to peek out right before I hopped on and give them the like, hey, dude, no talking. Right. That's my <laughs> wife is my wife's yelling at him from the living room, telling him not to throw the, the dog's ball down the hallway right now. You know what I mean? Totally. Uh, so are you, are you sick of podcasting yet? Are you having a good time doing barbecue? No, man. I, I, you know, it's funny when I took over the podcast from Chad, I, I was really militant about it and like, I guess like probably took it a lot more seriously than I should. And it was like, 
I realized I'm like, you know, like this needs to be fun. Like when I have guests or come up with someone I want to have on the podcast and I release an episode and I've kind of just took in the mindset of, you know, I, I do it for myself and nobody's going to be paying their mortgage via podcast, at least in, right. in our chosen topic. Yeah. So, <laughs> totally. uh, yeah, I, I use it as an excuse to call friends that, yeah. you know, it's hard to block out time to call and talk to and, uh, you know, no, I, I'm not sick of it. It's I, I try not to take it too seriously. Cool. And, you know, people listen to it and enjoy it. And, you know, that's just bonus. Yeah, man. Um, uh, I, you know, I really had no idea how much work podcasting was um, before I jumped, yeah. before I jumped into it, you know. And have, have you set yourself up like a studio or anything or, you know? Yeah, I got a uh, I, I mean, I it, studio in the loosest sense of the word. Right. Like it's a uh, it's it's actually like a table you would like sit on the couch and eat with like a mm. dinner tray <laughs> that I have set up with my, uh, mic and my board. And, uh, you know, it's, it's set up, I, it's, you know, right next to my computer. So I can kind of hammer out, kind of go between both stations, but uh studio, I would, I would not define it as a <laughs> studio. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I rotate between my bedroom and my car. I, yeah. Record, yeah. Re- record my, my, uh, not my interviews the rest of the episodes in my car and i usually do my interviews in my bedroom here so i'm kind of in the same spot man whatever where yeah. it was quiet quietest you know for yes, the time being right for and sure what do you for like sure. what do you like most about it like what is like for myself like i'm new i'm new to this and i you know i'm, yeah. not, in, I'm not in the industry like yourself right so meeting a bunch of different people um has been awesome and, you know i've only put out like yeah a dozen episodes or so so far but everybody's been so cool and you know meeting people's been great yeah, I, I would have to say, I mean, like the fly fishing industry is is kind of like my family. I mean, I, I started in the industry when I was like 17 years old and I'm 43 now. So it's like I, I, that's well over half my life, you know, I mean, so and it's a small industry, as you know. I mean, it's not there's not a lot of people that get to do what we get to do and be part of their passion and make a living off of it. and. So all these people I've met over the course of my life and over being in the industry, like they're all over the the country. And the best thing about the podcast is it it gives me a reason to call and talk to them for an hour. It, it, It both, you know, everybody lives such busy lives that it forces both of us, me and whoever I'm asking to be on the podcast to like put an hour on the calendar where like, we're going to sit and talk and it's not a, you know, phone tag over a week over, you know, all the stuff we have to do and eventually an email or a text, you know, it's some, yeah, some text messages with some dumb memes, you know? Yeah. It's just, it's been a way to really kind of like catch up with some people that have been in my life for, I mean, a lot of it and reach out to people maybe that I haven't talked to in five, 10 years and, you know, catch up. So, and, you know, in between they do interesting stuff and we tell some interesting stories. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it seemed like the Barbless Dudes, um, Chad and Nick were on a roll and added a bunch of like regional chapters for their show. And like, yeah, that, everything was going really cool. I, I still listen. I loved it a lot uh, when they were doing it, too. And um, then everything went dark. And like a phoenix, yeah. the, like a phoenix that came back with Hogan Brown as as the host, like no, 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 no pressure or anything, right? No, and I, yeah. I, you know, that was the first, like I, the those guys, I mean, they they really went after it, and they, you know, spent a lot of time. They committed to re- releasing episodes once a week. I That's mean, they, yeah. 
they scoured the the earth for the most interesting guests and they they brought on different you know basically regional hosts and yeah. i mean they tried to run it and did run it like a business mm-hmm. and uh you could tell i mean you could tell it was yeah throw. yeah 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 and they asked me you know when they first you know nick had has two young kids chad i think got burned out because it was so much work mm. and uh you know when they were kind of thinking of bringing it back they're like hey do you want to take it over we put all this work into it we don't want to let it die and i'm like yeah but i can't do what you do i don't you know yeah just a different different a, different cadence yeah. right yeah yeah so you know it was kind of a like yeah i'll do this I'll, I'll i'll do this and i i you know i go through spurts i didn't you know do much over the summer because i'm on the water all the time and you know i i feel like i've kept the name alive and kept it out there and kept them up and you know if people enjoy it that's that's great if not like i enjoy talking to my friends yeah Yeah. i'm trying to do two a month and i know that it's tough yeah i'm doing it all myself you know and um so a one once a week is hardcore and and you can tell that they were trying to make it you know legit and they were putting a lot of yeah into it so yeah that's cool man i i still listen i think it's great i hope you keep it up yeah however long you do it um or however many times a month you put it out it's it's awesome yeah I, um, I keep doing it till I run out of people I want to talk to. So. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's what I'm committed to. Yeah. I mean, how do you find time to do anything? Like, what, what's your secret? I, I think you're a school teacher, right? And you're, you're yeah, that, yeah. You're... I do a bunch of different stuff, man. Yeah. I mean, um, I the only person I've ever really met in my life that does as much stuff as I I do is my kind of my partner in crime, Chuck Reagan. That's so. what I, I was gonna say. You two are like sharks, man. You, <laughs> ne- you never yeah. stop. You never stop moving. You're always doing something, dude. Yeah. And that's just, I, uh, you know, I always tell my wife, I need to quit. I I was telling my wife the other day, I just, I was, I was wrecked. I'm like, I'm like, I got to quit my day job. And she looks at me and it's like, which one? And I'm like, I don't know, (laughs) at least four or five. I don't know. You know? And, you know, I, I just think I'm, there's so much I want to do. And I, I like, what i do so it's like most of what i do doesn't feel like work i you know wow i enjoy teaching high school i enjoy working in the fly fishing industry i enjoy getting in the boat and taking people fishing i i I, i'm really blessed to have the opportunity that work is not you know as i say i'm not i'm not going into the coal mine every day yeah yeah so that's the secret right is is yeah work not feeling like work man you do you're you're a high school teacher man i I was just um, kind of like i went and volunteered at my uh, my son's kindergarten and my daughter's second grade class the other day and oh yeah i couldn't was was it don't 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 love me and those those people are saints (laughs) i was in awe i was in awe of them right like i hadn't been in that situation with covid and everything we didn't really get to volunteer much um yet you know my kids are pretty young and I can't imagine high school. That's a totally different level. That's a different level of the kind of interaction you're having with these it's, students. It's funny, man. I uh, I started teaching when I was in my early 30s. I got out of guiding full time, and uh, I was guiding like 280 some days a year or something. And I I went into the classroom, and you know it was it was great. It was I, I love it. I feel incredibly blessed to be able to do it in a great community and. Uh, but it's you talk about that like I, I one of my first I think it was first couple of years I was teaching my superintendent walks over and he says I need you to do something I got a favor for, I, I really need a favor and I'm like okay cool what do you need you know like I'll do anything for you and he's like I need you to go down to one of our elementary school classes 
and sub for a second grade class for like an hour. Oh yeah. And dude, I tell people that was the longest hour of my teaching career. Like you're kind of one or the other, right? Like 17, 18 year olds don't scare me at all. Like I teach juniors and seniors and it's like, that is home. That is my sweet spot because I feel like I'm essentially perpetually 17 or 18 years old myself. And man, I had no tools. I got no tools for second graders in kindergartens. I mean, you look at the the people that do that and I look at them with awe. It's a, spe- like, it's a special skill set for sure. Like, it, it, you know, it's, it's, I compare it to like an NFL football player, man. Yeah. Like you either got the DNA or you don't totally, <laughs> like there's yeah. no in between. Yeah. I think so, you're right, man. I mean, yeah. I wish I, I wish I could, it seems really re- rewarding at the same time. I mean, it, absolutely. Any, any type of teaching, whatever grade you're doing, you know, I, I kind of yeah. kick myself every once in a while for not getting into that, but you know, it's a good gig. It's fulfilling. And you, you know, you get, you get to see some pretty meaningful fruits of your labor, so cool. to say. Yeah. yeah well i see i know you're busy but i still see you have you know you're getting out on the water with your kids and stuff you know when you yeah. have free time do you, do you have any advice for getting kids pumped to participate in outdoor stuff you know like yeah um, man I, I mean i um me and my wife decided when we had kids like very early on that and I, i'm not sure i think it was one of her cousins said this is you know your kids don't change your life they become part of your life and like we had built our whole lives around being close to the river. We live, you know, uh, not even, we live basically a quarter mile from the lower Sacramento river. The, uh, the school that I teach at, one of the reasons I took the job there is it's about a quarter mile from the lower Sacramento river. And, um, you know, our recreation, like our hobby is, the water and being on the water and so from a very early age I, I mean I have pictures of my kids and I mean newborns out on the river and we just took them out in the boat and maybe it was just for a boat ride or maybe it was just to put them in their little carrier and sit on the bank and you know hang out for a minute but very early on we committed I think to bringing our kids outdoors and fishing was not part of that like it was not a a thing and eventually as they got older we would introduce fishing but like fishing was just something else we did outdoors and we threw rocks and we built forts Mm -hmm. and we went hiking but like the river and fishing were always and always has been part of my kids lives and we spend if we're not out on the river at least once a week like it's a a rarity and uh so i think what we did the secret to kind of us is it was never about fishing it was just being and having fun outdoors and then as they got older introducing fishing is more of something that we do outdoors and you know i think lucky to us they enjoyed it but i don't think if they didn't enjoy it we wouldn't have stopped taking them outdoors or we wouldn't have found something else outdoors that they enjoyed whether it was mountain biking or hiking or snowboarding or whatever it was um but lucky for us, like they, they enjoy fishing. Yeah, and that, so that's, that's cool. I, I like asking that. I asked, you're not the first person that I've asked that question. To. Yeah. I, like to, I like to ask the dads that I talk to about that. Cause I feel like it's important more than ever. And, um, yeah, it's also kind of a weird, like, um, scary thing for, for fisher fishermen or anglers really is cause you want your kids to dig it, you know, and like, yeah. you don't want them to, um, you know, you want them to do it with you someday. You don't want them to, you don't want to ruin it early. And it's kind of like, you feel like you're, t- it's touchy, you know, walking on eggshells kind of stuff. And 
Yeah, um, I think the other thing that I did that was probably I had seen. I made a concerted effort that when they were with me, it was all about them. Like I don't fish still today when I take my kids fishing. Like mm-hmm. it was not. I didn't fish. It was about them, and they dictated how much they wanted to fish and. I made sure we got junk food at the gas station on the yeah. way there. And, you know, I, there was a long, there was a good number of years where any of my recreational time was spent taking them fishing, which was definitely not me fishing yeah. or even going to the places that maybe I wanted to be. It was all about building it in them so that, I mean, now I, I, I you know, if, if one kid's out of town or doing something like, I jump in the boat and they're on one deck and I'm on the other and we're casting and fishing and it's just like me and a buddy fishing. So, oh yeah, um, I feel really blessed to be reaping the rewards of some of those years. Yeah, man. I appreciate, I appreciate you uh, giving us that advice. It's great. Uh, Yeah, for sure. I try to do something similar really. Like I, I first couple of times I tried to also, you know, bring a rod and fish and I quickly quickly realized that I'm like, this is, doesn't work. This isn't going to work. Like I need to kind of be the guide, but I'm going to be the guide untangling knots and you know, all that kind of stuff and getting stuff ready. So they're having fun. And when their uh, attention goes elsewhere and they want to go catch frogs or whatever, like that's what, that's what we do. Right. Yep. Um, yeah. We started turning over rocks, looking at bugs. I mean, it was just being out there is what it's about, I totally. think, to begin with. Well, we should probably talk about some fly tying. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I asked this to pretty much all my guests, too, but I'm sort of especially curious about your um, fly tying origin story. Like, when did you start? Sure. Who, who got you into it? Oh, man. So, um, my fly tying origin. So I, I grew up on the lower Yuba river, which is uh, a pretty technical tailwater. And I remember, you know, you know, not to stop you so early, but it doesn't sure. seem that it doesn't seem that way. Like I fish the Yuba every once in a while and you know, I'm in Carmichael. I'm not that far. Yeah. And, and um, when you pull up to the Yuba, it doesn't seem that way. It doesn't seem like Puda Creek or something like no, that. No, no. Lo- looks technical. No. And you're like, okay, what am I going to do here? Like, it looks like yeah. a, any other kind of easy river. And I'm interested to hear your take on, on on that stuff (laughs) so uh, i guess i mean the yuba is i mean to answer that like i've never been humbled or felt like such a god as i have on the lower yuba river and sometimes that happens you know i've never been just beat down or raised up that's why i like any, any hobby though right it's yeah like that, that can happen yeah the, the yuba's a unique yeah the yuba though man it's it's gotta i mean i've fished that thing since i was gosh single digits old and you know you'd think i'd probably be able to string together a a, a very successful number of days out there but i'll go out there guiding or fishing on my own one day and man i can't do anything wrong they'll eat every fly in the box and then i go out there the next day and i look like a fool and mm-hmm. can't figure out anything so um that seems to happen more on the yuba than probably any other piece of water i've ever been on in my entire life so Interesting. if i need to feel insignificant on occasion i'll, I'll go real torture myself it's, it's just like you're it's like you're um holy ground right and like oh it the, is the, man the, i mean the, that's yeah like the powers that be are playing with you and your emotions every <laughs> yeah. every time you every time you go there right it's not it's not oh real. they keep yeah they keep me humble man yeah. so so I got, I, I, when you look at fly tying, my, I guess my origin would be is, um, what I remember is I'd been a, I've fly fished for most of my life when I was young. And, um, 
I, I was around fly tying, um, all my life, but like my first fly tying is my, I, my dad had got me like a really cheap fly tying kit. I want to say I was like in fifth or sixth grade and, it, and I hadn't done anything with it. Cause it was, I don't know if I just didn't have the patience or was more interested in fishing than tying flies. It doesn't, seem, I, I, it doesn't seem very cool at that, at that age. <laughs> no, man. It, it, you know, but neither is fly fishing at that age. So cool was not like, I, I think very early on, I had accepted that, you know, I was not going to be cool. So, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, so I, uh, I remember I was homesick. Like one day I, I was sick and I was like, my parents both worked. My mom was a school teacher and my dad was a counselor. And so I, I pulled that out and like just started tying flies out of the book it came some materials and hooks and it it i'm kind of the type of personality that like whatever i do i want to do it well and um it was kind of a black hole once i started i was like okay well that fly looks like trash and (laughs) i gotta at least figure out how to make some of these things i mean nice and um there was a gentleman that worked at nevada city anglers uh in nevada city where i ended up getting my first job in the fly fishing industry and working by a man by the name of Ralph Wood. And, uh, Ralph Wood was a a fly fishing guide. He was the first fly fishing guide I ever met. And, uh, him and the owner at the time, Jeremy Gray and Mike Fisher, the owner before Jeremy taught me, basically they would, I would come in and they'd be like, okay, do this. And, Ralph was probably the biggest influence because Ralph was an East Coast guy. He grew up in the Bay Area, but he was originally from the East Coast. And he was very technical. And, you know, it was, I didn't get to see or he would not. And this is before the internet, right? This is, you know, I'm checking books out of the library if I want to learn how to, you know, anything. There's no YouTube. So, you know, Ralph had to show me. And it was like, the first fly he showed me was an elk caracatus. And it was like, I didn't get to see anything else until I could tie 12 in a row that looked exactly the same and match the proportions that Ralph wanted them. It's like karate yeah. kid. Like karate kid. Absolutely. Yeah. It was absolutely like that. And uh, I think from that, I got a bunch of Skip Morris books, which are like these kind of spiral bound books. And I, I, I learned some stuff in there, but I would, I started with this concept of like, unless you can tie 12 that look identical and are perfect proportions, then you don't learn anything else. And so for the longest time, that was my fly tying. It was like, I'd take a pattern, I'd hammer it down till I could tie 12 that looked perfect to the proportions. And then I would move on to the next one. And I don't know if that's good or bad, but I'll tell you right. I'll tell you right now that I don't do that. And it's probably, it's probably a bad thing. Cause like I'll tie one and then I want to tie something totally different. So I'm sure, I'm sure it helped. Yeah. And then I, I really doubled down on fly tying when I, when I started guiding, I was about 17, 18 years old. And wow. That's that's at that time to guide. yeah, Yeah. That's at that time I was by far the youngest person out there. It was not, you know, there was no youth movement in fly fishing in the late nineties, you know? So I, I, uh, there's some old curmudgeons, like you would imagine there was a man by the name of Sam Craig and Ralph was out Ralph Wood, And there was these dudes that like, you just didn't get in front of them. First of all, like if they're in a run, like they're fishing it, you know, they don't, you don't share water. That was not part of the deal. These guys were the, the OGs, so to say. 
they were nice but like there was unwritten rules yeah how do you how do you think those unwritten rules have evolved you know like i've I've heard the similar stuff not like as hardcore um i've been on boats with guides that are yelling at people for you know like yeah quote unquote (laughs) low low holing them when they really kind of weren't you know and and um also hear kind of about like gatekeeping type of things like of if you want to fish certain spots and things like that like you got to you got to get kind of clearance from certain people. Like, is any of that stuff relaxing or is that, is that there for a reason? I think, I think, um, man, I think it's, uh, I believe it's, well, I still act that way. You know, I, I'm 43 years old and been in this industry a long time. And, you know, there's guys like Lonnie Bowles and Ernie Dennison, who, if I ever see them on the river, I would never put my boat in front of them. Cause sure. I grew up underneath those guys and those, you know, gentlemen taught me a ton and I owe basically where I'm at to, you know, those people, Mike Costello and Jason Lozano. And they, I would never put my boat at, if they pull up to the boat ramp, they're putting their boat in front of mine every time. And that'll be that way till I'm gone or they're gone. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think that's old school though, right? Like that's not, you know, that's not, there's a lot of 20 something and 30 something year old guides that just don't operate like that. And, uh, that's fine. You know, to each their own. I, I kind of take pride in my principles and maybe my old fashionedness when it comes to that. But, uh, you know, I, I think somebody has got to kind of carry that integrity and that kind of way of doing things through. And I know there's a lot of young guides that me and Chuck employ that, you know, they still behave and act that way. So, um, yeah, I think it's still out there. Yeah, you know? well, for a good reason in a lot of ways. I mean, there's I'm sure there's some negative people like there is in every industry. Yeah. So like they like ruin it for others, yeah. but there's a there's a positive angle there of preserving yeah. know, a type of respect for the people in the water and and the fish there that, you know, is, Yeah, for sure. It's cool that there's people that are keeping it up, so. Yeah. And so what really what really got me into tying like really in a serious way is the fact that when I realized that i had to fish behind those guys <laughs> <laughs> like when i started guiding and realizing that oh man i gotta i gotta jump into this run after sam craig just nuked this thing or pull up to a run on the north fork of the yuba and fish good. it behind ralph i gotta find some flies that they don't have sure. so i had to start you know getting a little better getting a little more innovative and figuring some things out so how did that uh, evolve into where you're at now with loon and you know um like you're, you're, I'm, uh, am I mistaken? You're like on the marketing team with Loon. Yeah. And, yeah. And so doing... I, I run, I work as the director of marketing for Loon and, um, I own and operate a small little marketing firm, kind of a niche marketing firm called Alluvial Marketing. And, uh, you know, there's, it, it, there's a lot that happened in between me figuring out how to tie flies and me getting into marketing. But sure. I mean, the gist of the, the gist of it is, you know, is, um, working as a full-time fly fishing guide, it's, um, it's, I realized, I think when I was in my mid twenties, I started looking around and at that time I was probably 15 years younger than most of the guys I was working with. There was a lot of people that ended up getting divorces. There was a lot of people that ended up, you know, maybe not being the best dads and being a good husband and a good father were like core values of mine. Those, those were not things I was willing to compromise on. So I started to realize that like, it's tough to do those things if you're in a boat 280 some days a year. So 
Um, it's like being out on tour, like, you know, world tour exactly. for two years in a band or something. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's the same deal, man. And I, and so I, I started to try to figure out different ways that I could parlay the skills that I had and that I've gained into doing something that didn't require me to yeah. get into a boat 280 some days here. So yeah, that's so cool. You know, that, that's so cool that those two skills kind of met like that and have found a found you a spot that. Yeah, I, I you know, Loon, that's super cool. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the owners of Loon, Brett and Alan are like amazing humans and just great dudes that you know when i i applied for the job on a whim i have no formal marketing training i mean i got a a history degree (laughs) so uh it is you know they took a chance on probably an unconventional type of person but um i had a lot of street cred i think and a lot of uh you know boots on the ground type of stuff built brands of my own and such so uh you know, I've learned a lot along the way, but we're able to do good work. And I kind of feel like kind of know what I'm doing now, but <laughs> right on, I still right got on. a lot to learn, you know? Right on, man. So, uh, so is there anything unique that you do to tie for your guide trips um, after all these years are doing it? Um, like, you know, I talked to Chuck <sighs> about kind of his, yeah. assembly, his assembly line kind of situation where he has kind of blanks <sighs> ready to go. Do you do anything like that? Or is there a different process that, you're, that you use? Chuck is way more methodical about his fly tying. Um, I, I tend to, I guess I never rest on a specific flyer pattern, right? Like, um, I always assume whatever I tie is going to stop working eventually. So I got to come up with something different, you know? Uh, um, so, you know, when I'm tying for guiding, like I try to tie and stay like a season ahead. So like right now, if you were to look at my bench, it's all like winter stuff. I'm trying to crank out winter flies. So like my staples, right. So that while I'm in the winter season, my tying can be geared more at innovating stuff, like tie three of an idea and see if it fishes, tie this in this color, that color, and that color. And so like my staples are full, my boxes are full of what I know is going to catch fish and put fish in the boat for my clients and myself and my kids. And then my tying at that time is taking what I'm seeing on the water while I'm out there and trying to innovate or develop new things that are going to hopefully become staples the next year, or, you know, maybe just end up sitting on the wall because they don't work. You're you're a tinkerer too. You're tinkering with these things constantly. Oh, absolutely. You know, I've been, I've been fortunate enough to have, you know, contracts with commercial fly tying companies most of my life. And, you know, um, I, it's one thing, another thing I've always been weird about, you know, if, if someone's going to buy my flies or pay money for my flies, I've always felt like this deep responsibility to like, make sure what they're paying for works and is well thought out, not just some idea that I had and shoved in an envelope and sent off to a company. So it's, it's disappointing. Like, um, I've, I've been fly fishing for like 10 years yeah, and and only tie in for like three or four. And, um, before that buying flies at the fly shop or, or ordering them online or whatever. And when you get, shitty ones dude it's so disappointing i mean like <laughs> yeah if they're there and for I like mean, one sure cast people... you know one cast yeah. and a toast you're coming back with an empty hook or whatever you know yeah no and i i mean i i think that's probably indicative to anything that's mass produced sure you know yeah. um but yeah so so you're, you're you're talking about tying for winter 
Um, yeah. Where, where are you fishing in the winter? Are you fishing the Yuba usually in the winter time here, or, or are I'll you do a feather? What are you doing? <laughs> I, uh, I I do fish the Yuba a little bit. Um, I try not to spend that much time. You know, I, I I probably don't fish the Yuba as much as I used to almost every year. Just it's uh, it's more time away from home. It's about a two hour round trip for me. Oh, okay. Um, I spend a lot of my time in the in the winter on Lake Orville. Okay. Um, spotted that's bass right. fishing. Yeah, that's you right. Know, you that's guys, a lot closer. You bass so. union guys are always pushing the winter lake bass fishing, and it seems like yeah. something like so foreign. I need to go out and try that with you. Guys. It's it's pretty weird. I'm not gonna lie. Um, and we have we have great winter striper fishing too. So I mean, I spend a lot of time out on the river, just you know, a quarter mile from my my house, throwing flies for stripers, and in between that and the lake, I'm able to stay. You know, thirty to five minutes from home and big thing is you know the older you get the harder it is to row a boat so <laughs> if i'm guiding the lake and the river yeah. i'm in a in a motorboat so That's another thing about doing 280 days of guiding right if you're rowing, yeah, oh, yeah i don't know if ever yeah. if you don't go out fishing with a guide i don't think you really understand the physical aspect of it either right like you think it's yeah. just going, going fishing three guys getting in a boat and going fishing and you know yeah no, a lot I've of work to, there yeah. i've had to learn how to take care of my body uh a lot better than I did when I was younger because of how I took care of it when I was younger. (laughs) So, um, what, so what pattern, like what signature pattern are yours? Um, are you most proud of? Oh, wow. Um, like, is it one that you fish the most? Like, is there, is there a pattern of yours that you created that you fish a lot? Man, I mean, I, I think people, most, most people that know me probably fish, um, probably fish the S&M and the redheaded stepchild and that stuff the most. Um, I think probably one of, and I'm really proud of those flies. Like, um, are you still tinkering on those ones or do you think those ones are? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I always, I I started doing some weird stuff and I, and, and so I, as soon as those flies hit, I mean, they're, they've been out forever now. Like there's, you know, there's flies that aren't as popular, which are actually the flies that like I fish now because everybody fishes the S&M and the redheaded <laughs> stepchild. So like there's the little Amigo, which is like, it's out, like it's tied commercially. You can go buy it, but it, it just didn't take off like the S&M. And that's what I fish because I know everybody else and their mother's fishing the S&M, right? That's so funny. like, I don't want to be fishing that um staying, staying away from your own pattern that's funny I, right like I, I i'm weird like that i mean that's the like as soon as a fly comes out i'm like you're dead to me i need to come up with something <laughs> new because now everybody's going to be fishing it so um i guess i'm just like i i get weird with my flies like i i don't i feel really i guess like i see chuck get this way when people like really love on him about his music and such like I feel like my flies are just interpretations and reinventions of the flies and the people that I learned to tie from, whether it's Mike Mercer or, you know, Bob Quigley or Ralph Wood. Like I feel really weird. People thinking I did anything special by throwing some thread and a hook and steel on a, you know, together and calling it my own. Cause it's none of the ideas are my own. I, I kind of took from other people and put them together as I think we all do as fly tires, you know, the concept of like, this is my fly. I invented it. Like I, I buy in that when it comes to like the concept of like intellectual property and like people ripping off fly patterns or whatnot. But I mean, you gotta be real a little bit with it too, is like, you know, we're all taking ideas from everybody, you know, it's kind of like, 
a song. It's you know, there's only so many chords, you know. So, well, I guess I'm just proud of the fact that, like, and humbled more about the fact that, like, people throughout these years have like paid money for my flies. So yeah, man. I never thought of that as a thing. <laughs> That's pretty so, cool. That's how how yeah. humble of how humble of you too. I mean, that is a, an interesting way to look at it. It's a it's a cool way to look at it too. I mean, chances are somebody's mixed up the materials that you did somewhere, Absolutely. right? And you know, there's say there's a lot of songs it. that are yeah, you know, there's a lot of GCD songs, right? Sure, you know, right. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know. Speaking of, you know, I know you play music too, and your 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 band's Royal yeah. X, right? Yeah, 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 think, yeah. Do you think that the um you know, I'm not sure if you write, are you a writer as well? You writing songs in the band? Yeah, I, I write my, I, I mean, we kind of write as a, a unit, but you know, you'll, yeah, you'll... definitely. I've always considered myself a songwriter. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Do you think it scratches the same itch, you know, um, time flies playing music, you know, um, it's obviously a little different when you're playing with a group and you guys mesh and you gel and, and come up with something or have a good show or whatever. And yeah. That same I, level, but yeah, yeah. You know, there's, you know, I, 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 Playing music's one of the few things that I, I always tell my wife this because she, you know, looks at me because I, I go play music most Sundays with my friends. And, you know, it's the it's the one thing I can do that I, I'm not like a great musician, so I got to like work on it. And while I'm doing it, there's like no bandwidth to be thinking about other stuff. So like when I do it, it really is one of the few things in my life that really clears the mechanism, right? Like, That's true. Yeah. Un- unfortunately, like fly tying and fly fishing, while I'm incredibly passionate about them, like I live in that world every day, all day. And so it doesn't provide that same like catharsis and escape that like, say music does. Like it's true, man. Yeah. When I'm tying flies, like I'm, looking at new materials that came out i'm thinking about guiding i'm looking at a you know it's it's not a removal from my from my job i enjoy it i love it i tie every day it's a great way to kind of focus and relax but it music is provides a different thing for me that flight tying doesn't do I mean, I never really thought of it that way i I still play play music with my brother and um, yeah when we get into a a room it's one of the few times where yeah we are focused on just that there's nothing yeah. no other distractions we're working there's together no to room. Do it. there's yeah, no room right? in my brain <laughs> i know yeah. i never thought of it that way really I, I, yeah. I mean they're both releases you know flight time can be the same kind of um you know mental break or whatever if you look yeah. at it the same kind of way but playing music is unique that way um especially if you yeah. have a place where you go and play with your buddies and yeah, nobody, nobody else yeah. gets gets in there and you just kind of yep. crank things out you know um, yeah do you do you listen to music when you're tying too? I do. I listen yeah. to a ton of music. Like I, I think that's indicative to just being a musician. You know? Yeah. Um, you know, I ask that to other people too. Most people say they don't. They'll put like oh, a no, I, TV show on or movie or not have anything nah. on. You know? I I I I listen to music. I'll occasionally listen to a podcast, but it's like that almost like uh, uh, music. It's always music for me. For sure. What are you listening? Yeah. What are you listening to these days? Uh, what was I listening to today? I, you know, I've kind of been going back and listening to some older stuff today, uh, like over the last week. But before that, I was listening to I listened to the new Tyler Childers album a little bit. Um, listening to some 
one of my buddies' bands released a tape, so I actually had a tape player out. And I was listening I've, to a I've, tape. Seen a, I've seen a lot of bands <laughs> yeah. doing, doing that now, the retro yeah, tape. So, yeah, I was listening to some tapes. Was, let's see what else I got here. I, was, yeah. I, I listen to, I'm always trying to find kind of, I'm always looking to yeah. see new stuff, but. I had Loretta Lynn um, on Loretta, Loretta Lynn on today. She passed away. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, what else? Awesome. To Ways Away, which is a kind of a conglomeration of a bunch of different bands. Sergi, who played with Knapsack and Sam I Am and those guys. Was, you know, and then what else was I listening to here? Oh, I, I saw Sunny Day. I've been watching a few of the clips from the Sunny Day real estate tour. So I was okay. like reliving my angsty 90s and listening oh, yeah. to some sunny day and stuff like that so That's funny yeah me and my wife too are big built to spill fans so i was listening to the built to spill album cool so, right yeah on, yeah uh let's see i got some more fly tying questions for you sure uh, are you working on any new patterns that you're oh, excited man, about? I... <laughs> any, thought, any thoughts brewing what do you got going on so my my latest venture um i get to work um with a lot of cool people. One of the guys I've kind of been working with is uh Blaine chocolate. And, uh, wow. Yeah, cool. I, uh, the game yeah, changer, the game changer. Guy. Yeah. Blaine's a great dude. Like uh, a dad, a guy, like, I mean, we, we, we connect on a lot of levels. Um, but you know, there's, I've been, I've kind of tied game changers a little bit, but I never was really good at them. And I just decided that like, I'm going to figure out how to do these. They're designed after glide baits and swim baits. They're so that's hard. A, They're so that's hard. a huge, a huge thing on our rivers in the fall and winter is giant glide baits for stripers. And I'm like, no one's doing this, at least in my little circle. Chuck got into it for a little while. Um, yeah. I saw him like, post like feather changers and stuff for, for a while. Yeah, And he kind of did it for a while, you know? And, and so I've, that's like been my kind of pit the last month is I'm like, you know, I feel like I'm caught up on most of my flies, like, um, all my, all my large mouth or all my spotted bass stuff for the, the winter's done. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to figure this out. Like I'm going to, you know, get into this. Cause Blaine is probably if you read Blaine's book and if you talk to him, which I fortunately get to do on a pretty regular basis, like, he's probably one of the most innovative thought provoking fly tires that we have in our, I guess, modern era. Um, Some pretty innovative innovative patterns. Absolutely. And just, just thoughtful. Like he understands that bass musky game. Figuring out how those pattern, how those like conventional lures translate. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I've gone down a rabbit hole with that and, you know, who knows if any of the flies I look at are going to ever catch a fish, but they look good. So nice. <laughs> I'm proud of that. Uh, so. You know, so uh, we were trading DMS about what to talk about on this episode. Yeah. And, and yeah, the whole episode, sure. the whole episode is about flashaboo. Um, yes. Why flashaboo? Why do you want to talk about that one? Um, um, so I, I, you know, I, I think I sent you like a three couple, a th- couple ideas and, in, in I thought flashaboo because um, I tie a ton of different style of flies. Like I tie everything from bluing olives to like, you know, game changers the size of your forearm lately. So um, flashaboo is one of those things that I use on all those flies for various different purposes. And it's not really a material that people think about 
as a versatile material. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're totally right. And when I was reading more about it, cause I mean, really, I just wanted to do, I, I wasn't kidding when I told you, I just wanted, I picked flash boot just cause I wanted to make a cheesy name flash, <laughs> boot, flash <laughs> boot for Halloween. Cause it's coming out around Halloween. I'm not totally. kidding. Totally. I went, I went totally. for it and I'm like, that's what we're going to do, man. Um, but yeah. think, thinking about it more, it's like, and digging into the history. And I, I reached out to Hedron for, um, Oh, to wow. To try and get an interview with somebody there to talk. Yeah. To I haven't heard anything back. It may or may not make it into the, the episode. I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, like realizing how uh, revolutionary it was to come out. I want to say it was in the mid 80s when they when they when they released it. Yeah. Um, and and fly tying being mostly naturals and and uh, not flashy stuff uh, before yeah. that point. I mean, maybe bright colors, feathers and stuff like that first. But um, the flash was was uh, super like a game changer. Not to not to say say it again. No, but, you know. no, you're absolutely right. Like I, I started tying flies right when the like synthetics started hitting. So like I remember Crystal Flash, Flashaboo, and Ice Dub coming out, and the fat it, it, dude. It was like. I grew up with a lot of staunch trout guys and it was like tying with synthetics was like, not, you didn't do that. Like how, how Antron. Dare, how dare you? Yeah. <laughs> like Antron, like Antron dumping that a lot of people use for dry flies. That was like, okay, that's okay. But like crystal flash and like, nah, man, we don't do that. You know? So, um, I just saw it as like, Dude, this is gonna add something to my flies that all these, you know, old timers that yeah. I gotta, yeah, like flashy I gotta stuff, fish. guys. Come on. Yeah, you know, and I still today one of the one of the greatest, one of the probably the most life altering or life shaping fly tying tips I ever got was from Bob Quigley, and Bob added all sorts of flash and attractable stuff to his flies, but he would always say like, his theory was I nail he nails the silhouette. Like he nails the design and the silhouette of the fly. And then he adds the attractive elements to it. So he adds the flash after the fly already works to make it work better. So it's like, cool. I, I've always looked at that of like my flash, whether it's flashaboo, crystal flash or whatever, in this case, flashaboo, like that is enhancing the fly. It does not define the fly it enhances the fly. So there's very few, and that's probably old fashioned, right? Like yeah. I, I, that's unless definitely an older, older like approach. A, the prom dress or something, right? Where it's like all, totally. all it's all synthetics, right? You know, yeah. and now, well, and like now, I mean, most of, I have flies, most of my flies are, I, I, don't, I shouldn't say most, like I definitely tie flies that are all synthetics, but like there's something about natural materials that I'll always kind of be attracted to. So, oh. Is there is there any specific color of flashaboo that you'd be totally devastated if they discontinued? Like, is there something that you're always using? Oh well, just I mean the general pearl. Like, I mean if they ever get rid of that, I'm screwed. Yeah, but that, that uh, you know, happen. there's this yeah. one that that I was looking through, like my stack. There's this this color I use all the time. It's like a salt and pepper, oh, um, yeah. and it's it, it mixes like the thin kind of flexible black with the stiff purple and i use that a ton cool. and I, I don't not a lot of people do so well maybe don't they tell will. people no way I'm not <laughs> yeah gonna maybe they're not i totally screwed myself this is a live I, interview we're, we're gonna release yeah. this to the internet man no no they're fine they can use it enjoy it use it but it's uh 
I'm big on like multi-dimensional colors. Like, you know, I think dark on lights give dimension and add three-dimensional space to a lot of flies. So yeah. uh, I like it as it's dark and light. Cool. So, um, What are some ways that you use Flash Reboot that maybe Hedron wouldn't have expected tires to use it for when they come Yeah, out? yeah, for sure. So um, I think one of the first unique things that I started doing was on like bass flies, lead-eye bass flies. Like I would take a clump of it and tie it in and then palmer it like figure eight it around the lead eyes like you would thread like you would actually sure. tie it in and so you'd basically wrap the entire head with this flash and then i would epoxy it so it was like this hard head but with this just cool flash underneath oh, it interesting and that's cool the whole line of my bass flies that i came up with early 2000s had that head on them and it was pretty signature to what i was doing but it was just for me it just seemed like a cool flashy way to kind of end the fly yeah so, that's cool that's way cool yeah uh what about storing it like i always um like uh, uh, <laughs> storing and dispensing flash is a <laughs> yeah. pain in the butt dude like i don't know what i don't know the best way do you have any um tips uh no i mean my my it, so the ones I'm using sit out on a, like a, a plate. <laughs> it's on, I got nothing. Dude, if somebody, if somebody could figure yeah. that one out, like fly, fly fishermen love to buy stuff, dude. They love to buy gear and toys. Yeah. And if could figure out a cool dispenser, somebody out there, like, you know, they're out there. Like I've, I've have a few of these tubes that you can slide them in and that. And yeah, I've you seen know, that. I've seen that stuff. It just doesn't, you know, I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm not a, a big organized. Okay. I got a ton of material. Like, I mean, my, my fly tying material is takes up a good portion of my garage that, you know, I like have to go into the library stacks to pull stuff out, you know, um, and bring it into my office, which is likewise as full, uh, with fly tying material, but a lot of it's in Ziploc baggies and, you know, Tupperware containers and drawers I've had since I was, you know, 25 years old. Yeah. So it's not, I'm not an organized guy when it comes to that portion of my life. All right, all right. So, I mean, I know where everything is. It's one of those things where it's like, in my mind, it's organized. But if you saw it, you'd be like, this is a dumpster fire. <laughs> so I fished with Chuck, um, with Chuck Reagan last summer and was super impressed yeah. with, with his clousers. And, and, I oh yeah, been, I haven't been able to reproduce the same kind of flashaboo tail, even though it seems simple. Um, my buddy Ken Gotelli ties some great ones too. Like, do you? Yeah. Do you do anything special to, um, you know, <sighs> to keep them like they um are are they end up being like um the right width? I guess would be the best term, and they're straight and they like seem to move like an actual tail when you're <laughs> pulling them in. I can't, I can't do it that clean. Uh, you know, I uh, Chuck takes great pride in those. Like I, I, I mean, I it, Chucks are pretty legit. I, I, I got nothing. I mean, like that. I, I like stiff flashaboo. You know the okay, you know okay. versus that could be the, one of my problems right there for sure. Yeah, when you get into a lot of the multicolored flashaboo and stuff, it seems to be um, it tangles. You know, it doesn't hold shape as well. Um, so I like to stick with like the stiff pearl flashaboo and stuff like that. That's a little stiffer. Um, 
That's probably all I would say. You know, Chuck will add some crystal flash in there as well oh, for yeah. some little accents and stuff like that, which I'll do as well. But um, it makes I think sense. stiffness. The yeah, stiffness is, makes sense too because they're so durable. Yeah. Like you guys are combing through yeah. them after they're getting eaten up and they're sticking together still. The flash yeah. is not breaking off. So that makes a lot of sense. That's Yeah, that's... I like the stiffer. If you can, and there's a lot of, I mean, Flashaboo is obviously a brand name, but there's a lot of people that do stuff similar. Yeah, like I search flash, out, man. yeah, I search out stiff. Yeah. So. Yeah, if you if you could ask uh, the folks at, at Headrun any questions about their product, you, would you do you have any? Like, what would you ask them if you were talking to them? Oh. Like, uh, or would you make some fancy request? Look at you. <laughs> Look at you. No, I I would just I'd be like, how many units do you have to sell of a color? If I have ideas for colors, oh yeah, so, colors. Yeah, 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 like what's what's your custom coloring program? Yeah, man, I have, um, a bunch, I have a bunch of questions for them. I hope they get back to me. Yeah, no, I I I'm a pretty like I I I. I think people think I spend a lot more time thinking about fly tying and flies than I probably actually do. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I think a lot about fly design and I, I think about what I want the fly to do and how I want it to behave and then judge the fish's reaction and how it performs on that. And then the materials are like basically grabbing things off a palette to achieve that goal. It's not necessarily thinking much about what the material is so with flashaboo it's like it needs to be stiff i like it in these colors um outside of that like just keep making it <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. there's so many materials that get discontinued that like then i have to go on like massive internet searches and spending sprees to Thorough. rat Thorough. hole yeah hoarding. oh yeah no yeah. i am a, i am a serious material hoarder yeah. so uh I think with Flashaboo, probably the biggest thing is I would ask them if they could do a color between the normal size and the saltwater size. All right. There's a big <laughs> jump between the saltwater and the normal size and why they don't do one in between. Hopefully so. we hopefully we'll ask them. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So um, some other questions before I let you go. Sure. Uh, if, if folks didn't already know, you're one of the founders of Cal Bass Union. And yeah. You know, the stuff that you guys have been doing, I, I thought was rad since day one. And it's pretty inspiring to see one of your guys, uh, Ryan Williams, win a conventional bass tournament on the fly. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, do you guys have anything else cool going on? Like accolades? Yeah, or, so we're going to be. Trophies or, you know. No, I mean, our whole idea was me and Chuck kind of put it together of like just growing bass fishing as a sport niche in the fly fishing world you and uh, a, a heavy crew of dudes like serious dudes in the yeah and you know it's funny you bring it up like you know we kind of i mean again it's one of those things that it's it's not like we're paying our mortgage via the cal bass union it's definitely a yeah. a, a, a passion and love and kind of i don't even want to say community service because it's not really that but like um we want people to enjoy bass fishing like we enjoy bass fishing. And um, we kind of got a little lax on it. Like we didn't do a ton with it with COVID, but um, me and Chuck, have, we're going to add some more people to the union and uh, we're going to have some in-person events at fly shops around California. Cool. And uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to start adding some more, you know, if people want to book people in the union, they'll be able to do it on the website. We'll add a little bit, you know, 
more informational stuff is a lot of us are getting back out there and making videos and such like that. So the, the idea is that it's a resource for anyone that's interested in bass fishing with a fly rod and, uh, you know, we're, questions, you know, every, there's a specialist of almost everything on there, you know, and, and Ryan's success in the conventional world, it's, it's shown a lot of light and yeah. bass and fly fishing isn't going anywhere. It's growing. I don't so, know. I don't um, know what it is about the. I don't know. I wouldn't call it stigma, but like the like the how fly anglers typically aren't attracted to that bass world when they want they want trout, they want steelhead, they want uh, whatever, right? Um, but yeah, living where I live in in Carmichael in Northern California, there's so many bass mm-hmm. opportunities, and I don't take advantage of them either. I, I need to no, and need to get uh, out there. you know, I always tell people, you know, if, you know, a lot of people in the population centers, whether it's the Bay Area or Sacramento, it's like if you were to look at like how many top 25 bass fisheries you drive by to get to trout fisheries, if not like top 10 or top five bass fisheries in the country, you'd kind of get sick to your stomach. You know, know, it's like, you seem more, (laughs) more, more sustainable. There's a bunch of reasons, right? I mean, it, it really, you know, we joke around about it, but it's like, you know, bass aren't going anywhere. Bass are not right. endangered. Bass are not, you know, they're not harming anything. They're not in on an extinct list anywhere. And, you know, most people live within five to 10 miles of one. Right. So it's, you know, as our sport grows, which it has over the last, you know, three years, it's, you know. But why is carping cool and bassing not cool? You know what I mean? Like it seems you know, like I people want a carp. They want a carp. I don't that know. Cool. I, I think it's like almost so far down the like food chain of game fish that like mm. it's okay, right? Like it's so <laughs> goofy and weird that it's kind of cool. Mm. Um, you know, but like the thing with the difference between carp and bass is like you can go out and catch bass. Like most people, you carp are hard. Yeah. You know, right. I, I I mean, catching a carp is not an easy thing to do. Yeah. I guess and, that's a bad comparison, but it, it's still like yeah. a fish that you don't no, think it about very is. with fly yeah. tying, you know, it's like, it's one of yeah. the, you think fly tying, you think trout right off the bat. Oh, for sure. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and trout will always be king. I mean, like yeah. there's no, you're never going to change that, but it's like the sport grows and people come into it without preconceptions. It's a great opportunity to spread people out and take some pressure off, you know, steelhead fisheries and trout fisheries that, you know, there's just, not enough of the resource to go around for everybody that wants to do it. So, Uh, you know, you're also deeply involved with cast hope and um, it's an organization that I I give a little shout out to you at the end of every one of my episodes. um, Just because we appreciate that. Just because I think you're doing cool stuff, which I will stop if if my show ever gets too weird and you guys don't want me to do that. (laughs) Just tell me to stop. But uh, are there any, any cool events coming up or anything like that? No, we just had a, we had a big fundraiser, Gosh, two weeks ago at Sierra Nevada, and we're we're kind of hitting. We have our steelhead tournament. That'd probably be our next fundraiser. But you know, um, a lot, a lot of the big stuff. You know, I mean, obviously, if people want to support us and learn more about us, they can check out casthope.org and and what we do. But you know, we 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 work every week to get our kids out. You know, we I get pictures as the the marketing guy for the whole organization. To, you know, kids holding fish from San Diego to Northern California to Nevada to, you know, even, Virginia, you know, West Virginia and North Carolina now. So, you know, our kids are getting out. Kids are fishing. We're 
you know, creating anglers week by week, day by day. So it's, it's such a cool, um, pro, pro, cool program, man. It's well, great. thanks. I appreciate that. It, it, uh, it was a pretty random idea we had and, yeah. you know, Ryan Johnston and his kind of, I guess we're very yin and yang. And so it's, it's worked out well. So very cool. So, yeah. you know, I, uh, one more question that I ask all sure. my guests, all my guests get yeah. this question and it's not related to fly tag at all, but have you had any sure. parano paranormal experiences or, you know, do you, oh, even be man. do you believe in that kind of stuff or like, where are you on? I, that? uh, it's funny you say that because, uh, my wife deeply believes in that. And, uh, you know, she would tell you she's encountered relatives and all that. And, and mm -hmm. I, I, I'm a deeply spiritual person. I, you know, I consider myself a fairly devout Catholic and, uh, I believe in a lot of things. Um, I don't necessarily feel like I've encountered supernatural, like, you know, but like. When I say paranormal, I mean like anything. I'm talking. Yeah. UFOs, I, I, Bigfoot, ghosts. No, you, you know, know I, I've, I, I, I guess I felt the presence of things, right? You know, um, I don't. I can't say I've ever encountered any UFOs or Bigfoot or anything supernatural, but I think if you spend time in the outdoors um, and you are a spiritual person, it's very obvious there's forces larger than you at work. And uh, with that being said, I have no doubt all those things exist. Ghosts, <laughs> UFO, you know, um, I think I'm, personally never had the encounter but that's not because i'm not looking you know sure. uh so hopefully someday i mean i feel the presence of larger than life things all the time every time i i, I look outdoors or look at my kids and that type of thing so i feel like it's out are, there yeah i feel like things just <laughs> keep getting weirder you know like um yeah. weirder stuff just becomes more acceptable um you know, at yeah. least in, at least in my brain. Um, yeah, I can't, I can't remember the name of the series now, but there's something on Netflix that I think if you guys, if you and your wife haven't watched it, it was all about um, near death experiences and like life after death stuff. Yeah, can't remember, I can't remember the name of the series now. Uh, I I don't know, but I, I I my I've I've had a few friends over the years that have had those, and you know, it's life altering, right? You know, you see things and places that. Uh, you know, are definitely not of this world. So, yeah, man. Well, you know, I strike out on that question a lot. So thanks for answering it at all. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> I, I, I'm looking, I'm looking. <laughs> if they show up, I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, you know, thanks again for wasting time with me, Hogan. You're, you're, oh, uh, for you're, sure. you're a humble dude, but you're talented and inspiring, you know, and, and not just because of the flight tying stuff. You, you have so much cool stuff going on. Uh, you make oh, me I appreciate it. Yeah. You make me feel lazy, but in a good way. You know? <laughs> don't, don't, man. It's, you, uh, you know, you and Chuck finds you, their own path. Yeah, you and Chuck both just make me feel lazy as hell. I mean, you're, <laughs> you're, you're, you're motivating. In fact, you know, Cal Bass Union is like it seems to be full of overachievers. You know, and uh, proving that you yeah. uh, you can usually do a little more than what you're doing right now and and still be all right. You know, um, so yeah, uh, I, I I just I always feel yeah I, I like Chuck always says we got to be in motion. We got to be in motion me and him you guys you know? are so i so. wish you i wish you and your family the the best here uh you know rest of the year oh you happy, too man happy 2023 all that stuff dude oh yeah it's gonna be a good one hell yeah hogan was a great guest he's full of knowledge about so many things and manages to never come off like a know-it-all 
If you somehow aren't already familiar, make sure you subscribe to the Barbless podcast that he hosts and follow him on socials too. Maybe try tying up some of his patterns. If you're in Northern California, go hunt for giant river stripers with him or hit a lake for spotted bass. That's it. I've collected 12 episodes now. Just like there's 12 signs of the Zodiac. Like the 12 knights at King Arthur's Round Table. Or the 12 apostles of Jesus. Just like we have 12 months in a year and 12 hours of daylight and 12 hours of night every day. Like the 12 notes before the next octave on your piano. Or 12 inches in the next foot. Maybe like the Freemasons' 12 signs of recognition. Or the 12 fruits of the tree of life. Did you know that there's only one true square number? 144 which is 12 times 12. Pure math harmony, vertically and horizontally. I better start prepping for episode 144 now. I almost forgot to mention my favorite 12, the Majestic 12, a purported secret organization that has popped up in UFO lore for decades. It's claimed to be a code name for a secret committee of scientists, military leaders, and government officials formed in 1947 by President Truman to facilitate the recovery of and investigate supposed alien spacecrafts. There are arguments about whether Majestic 12 was a real thing at all, much like anything else that falls under the UFO umbrella. This one actually does feel like some sort of disinformation program with a pretty much confirmed fake and likely planted memo from President Eisenhower's assistant, Robert Cutler, to General Nathan Twining that contained references to Majestic 12. What would be the point of planting a fake memo like that, though? To throw the public off the trail of real people involved in a real program that needed to stay secret? Was it an inside thing from certain people within the group who wanted to trick their more tight-lipped peers into feeling like they could go public with the info they had learned about the phenomenon? Why are you asking me? I mean, why am I asking me? How am I supposed to know? I bet Robert Bigelow knows the truth about all this stuff. Or as close to the truth as we can get as humans alive on Earth. He has to be the coolest, super-rich person ever. He's been putting serious hours and money into trying to figure out some of our greatest mysteries. He's also been involved in some pretty out-there government contract work. In my opinion, when it comes to paranormal or supernatural stuff, he probably knows as much as anyone. His Institute for Consciousness Studies is doing some pretty cool stuff these days, if you ask me. I wish he was a fly tire so bad, so I could bug him every day to come on my show. Look, I know I keep bringing this topic up on my fly tying podcast, but this is supposed to be the Halloween episode, and the subject can be pretty scary depending on how you approach it. My childhood and young adult life were filled with scary alien movies, but it's even scarier to me when people aren't interested in this topic. There couldn't be anything more life-altering boiling out on the edges of reality. There are so many opinions and possibilities about what it might be. There could be immense spiritual, technological, scientific, and societal impacts for all of us coming if we ever actually learn the truth. There's still people that refuse to believe it's anything that could be deemed unexplainable. That's becoming a lazy, boring, and closed-minded hill to die on, though. After you twist up one of Hogan's little amigos or his redheaded stepchild or S&M PMD nymph, I'd encourage you to mosey over to the crackpot side of the internet and poke around some of the more out-there UFO stories. The Rendlesham Forest case is an interesting one. So is the story of Dorothy Izat. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of my show. I hope I keep making these and I hope you keep listening, but more importantly, I hope these organizations keep doing what they're doing. Cast Hope is a nonprofit organization positively impacting kids and their mentors in California and Western Nevada through free fly fishing and outdoor experiences. Through their program, clients build mentoring relationships, fly fishing skills, outdoor knowledge, sustainable practices, and personal values. Cast Hope's gift of the outdoors empowers each mentoring pair to grow closer as they participate in healthy hobbies together. 
Check them out at casthope.org and whichever social network you like to use. Wild Steelheaders United was established to educate and mobilize the numerous wild steelhead advocates. It's a place where anglers can become more informed about wild steelhead biology and ecology, keep abreast of policy issues, and learn about Trout Unlimited's conservation work. As demonstrated by history, it's certainly possible to rally conservation-minded steelhead anglers to weigh in on specific management decisions that threaten to eliminate something they value. But there is no precedent for advancing a proactive, sustainable policy agenda at scale through purely volunteer efforts. Chances of conservation success are greatest if we have the backing of as many individuals as possible across all the Pacific states. This is why Wild Steelheaders United is critical. Visit wildsteelheaders.org for more info. This episode of the Secret Society of Fly Tires is brought to you by Night Flyer. Night Flyer is a brand new blockbuster hit film that tells the tale of young James, who is an avid fly fisherman with a dark secret. James's secret is that he loves catching fish so that he can freeze them and use them to stab his victims. You see, James is a murderer, a weird murderer. I bet you never thought about how some fish sort of look like little swords, but you will think about it a lot after watching Night Flyer. Critics are calling it a movie, and reviewers have said that they managed to watch the entire thing. So get to your local theater and watch Night Flyer today, you sick little freak. Please note that this is not a real advertisement and the company, brand, entity, or product mentioned in the preceding ad in no way endorses, agrees with, or knows about this podcast. Get out of the hospital in time?